American dream is not dead. Listen to Neil and Jeff share their leadership experiences through a new kind of leadership podcast. This is The American Hustle. I'm leveled up. And this is my world Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever, however you are listening to us. This is The American Hustle, where we believe the American dream is not dead dead. This podcast is about leadership and entrepreneurship and just becoming a better person through heart and hustle. And obviously, you know, we're focusing on practices specific to Western cultures, hence the name, the American hustle. My name is Neil Simpson with SFJ4x4.com. And this podcast is successfully produced by the man, the myth, the legend, Oh, okay. He's not here today, apparently. <laughs> well, you, you set up a build-up, so I wasn't sure. I know. I, I built so, you up. So I, I'm the producer, Jeff Shermani. The, the, uh, stallions, the, the Italian stallion. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, first off, take a moment, like, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating for our show. Uh, coming up in this episode today, though, we're going to be diving deep into the Pareto Principle. Uh, so don't miss out on that and the quote of the week after we analyze the 80-20 rule. Yeah, and I, I understand that the uh, the title of this particular podcast might be the Geppetto Principle. That's huh? right. Okay. And it is important to note if this is your first time joining us, uh, this podcast is a relative of the I Speak Jeep podcast. You can find that on all your favorite streaming platforms. And uh, that is kind of the uh, the help gave us the the springboard, if you will, to to come in and, and produce such a, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a spinoff to say, talking about business and, and personal development and, and all those kinds of things. So um, if you are joining us, jump over there, you know, hear that. It's a specific uh, to the automotive industry as a niche-based uh, podcast, but it is wildly successful. We have a great time. Uh, we have a great team over there. And, and obviously, as I had mentioned, uh, Jeff's decorated nature. He is the producer of that podcast as well. Well, so we are going to be talking about the Pareto principle, and um, <clears throat> I think that it was kind of fun when uh, Jeff had had you know suggested this this title, this theme, this you know this concept for us to talk about. I don't know that I was specifically familiar with it uh, under its namesake of the Pareto principle. Yep. Um, what I love about uh, leadership, entrepreneurships, you know, self-improvement, you know, those types of things. And what, again, ideally is going to set this particular series, this podcast apart from other people is we're going to be talking about things that are arguably less talked about. Maybe the, the non-regurgitated concepts over and over and over again. And while there is plenty of information out there uh, about this, if you just you know, Google and dive deep into, quote unquote, the Pareto principle. Uh, there's actually a uh, prices law. Um, there's honestly, there's there's a number of, of spinoffs. And and honestly, you know, from from business conversations to higher education conversations uh, to industrial manufacturing efficiency conversations that utilize um, and talk about this uh, concept. So, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Um, so the, the Pareto principle too, yes. the, the fun fact of where it actually came from, it was developed by an Italian economist, uh, Vilfredo Pareto yes. in 1896. Uh, and he observed that 80% of the land in Italy was owned by only 20% of the population. 
And, and I heard that story repeated over and over again um, while looking into this. And, you know, from kind of the, the, the nostalgia and romance of his specific garden, yep. as far as, you know, talking about his garden, um, is kind of the birthplace of the idea to this overall concept of, of the actual greater landmass of, of yeah. Italy, you know, yep. um, and the countryside and, and, and production in general. But as you mentioned, he's an economist, right? And yeah. so he was already looking for these things to, to kind of exist uh, in the world. And so I thought that was it's it's valuable to, you know, look at the the mark he's had on on efficiency and profitability and, and you know, the industry as a, as a whole. And, and this can be applied both in projecting uh, business success yep. uh, to down to personal success. And, you know, I, I heard a number of conversations about people saying, hey, you can apply it to your friend circle. Yes. You know, Um so it's going to be across the board. So folks who are who are listening and saying, "How does this? How does this benefit me?" And, and you listen in, and, and that's the thing. So you might not be a business owner. Uh, you might be a leader in your church. You might be, uh, a, a, you know, an appropriate team player on a, you know, on a sales force. Um, you know, there's a number of things, and the, this eighty twenty is going to be applicable to you. I promise. So listen in. So the the twenty percent. Uh, so 80% thing is 20% of your input equals 80% of your output. Yes. Uh, how, how does this help balance your business? How do you understand that? And what, do you, what can you use that for in business? So I actually thought this was interesting because uh, as, a, as a business owner who every day and every night, 24-7, you know, looks at you know, processes and, and says, how can we, how can we take a little compounding steps further? Um, I actually, I, I find myself when I was looking at this going, Hey, I, this is actually a little bit of a weakness for me. Yeah. Right. So this one was uh, self challenging in the process because I was trying to not say, I think we, I think as humans, we have, um, an aptitude to watch a situation and then we make it relate to us. And I think we're always the victor. We're always the hero in how things relate to us, um, unless you have a total victim mentality, right? Right. So throw that out the window. Uh, in, you know that 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 individual. We all know that person, um, and we'll talk about that person in the future. You oh know? yeah. Um, but I think you know uh, you know people who are who are genuine genuinely trying to self improve. Uh, join organizations that that benefit, you know, that help them become a better person, that they can better the community, uh, better their businesses, blah blah blah. We we take a situation and we relate it back to us, and we go, you know, who am I in this storyline? And so oftentimes we're like, oh well, I'm already doing that. Well, I'm already, you know, those types of things. Yep. And so I'm looking at this, going, I don't know that I'm doing this, you know, or how could I do this with intention? Right. Right. How can I do this with intention and, and understanding and that's um, the key to really any principle that you're going to apply to business is doing it with intention i absolutely right and and the, there's you know lots of different cliche conversations about you know uh, you know discipline or habit and we've all heard those types of things um my take on it is anybody can do anything once yep right that doesn't make them spectacular it's the ability to consistently reproduce a set of outcomes. Yep. Right. And so there's your just building off of your with intention, right? Saying, how can I actually 
um, not just talk about this, but be about this. Correct. Right? And that's that's how we should all kind of ask ourselves when we see something and we go, hey, I think that's weakness for me. I, I think that might be able to benefit us. So how do I do that with intention now? Right. You know? So <clears throat> I heard uh, I heard this conceptualized a couple ways, and it was actually um, it was a little confusing to me. Uh, so I, I'm going to work through it kind of live, okay. right? And we're going to talk about how that how that then benefit. We're going to circle back to your question that you posed was how does this benefit business? And right? I have I have prepared several talking points on different ways that I have used this principle awesome. in business. So, And that's going to be perfect because we're going to have a very organic conversation because A, I've identified this as a weakness of my own. B, I see where it would be relevant and um, you know benefiting to, to our company and our processes. And C, um, I, I see where we can we can be intentional in our in our pursuit of it, right? So absolutely, this will be this will be good for everybody because somebody else might be wrestling with it, and you know, be familiar with all these other concepts and all these other practices. Um, well, and I also have a couple examples of traps that you can fall into absolutely. that are the opposite sure. of this rule for sure. I, I mean, oftentimes as business owners, we find ourselves spinning our wheels, yep. right? Which is going to be that 80%, yep. right? That's not actually um, being productive. Yep. So I heard it conceptualized, and this was confusing to me, but it was still kind of fun to hear it. Majority of results come from a minority of causes. Yep. Okay. So I also like the word actions in there, mm -hmm. right? So I think I can substitute actions. And, a, and then they said the converse is also true, where a minority of results come from the majority of causes. And I, I, I struggled with accepting the fact that the converse was true. So I was able to, the majority of results come from a minority of causes. Uh -huh. And I thought, okay, well, that's 20% of my action then equals 80% of my output. Correct. And so, you know, if you're listening in, that's really the idea is that, um, you know, I heard it, I heard it uh, explained in a couple different ways that basically, you know, eight hours of reading a book um, that really only an hour or two is, is highly productive to you. The other 80% is rest, relaxation, your mind kind of wanders, you're engrossed in the book, that right. kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> but that, you can realistically glean the concepts, uh, the you know, the important information from the book in about a fourth of the time. Yep. Right. Um, so you know that was that was the idea. Or um, the other one was uh, uh, actually a, a math um, mathematician, a strategist, somebody who's actually an economic strategist and mathematician was doing a arguably a random demonstration of this with paper clips. Okay. And um, and so the idea was they took 100 paper clips and uh, <coughs> excuse me. They took 100 paper clips and uh, then they they actually had them color coded and they had them split up by uh, you know 20 basically yeah. or, or 20 so five different colors. And they put them into a big pile and they started to mix them up. And then they started grabbing two, <clears throat> two paper clips at random and linking them. Yep. And then they would st continue to shuffle this pile, and they would grab uh, a singular paper clip in each, you know, in each hand, 
But if it was linked to another paperclip, they, they still would link it, right? So as they wrestled and, and, and kind of moved through this pile of randomly grabbing paperclips, they oftentimes would find themselves grabbing a chain of paperclips. Yep. Because it was just the probability of grabbing, you know, 5, 10, 15 paperclips already linked together and a singular was greater, yep. right? And so now we link those 15 because I grabbed just one. I, you know, I selected just one out of the pile, but it's connected to 14 others. And I link it to a 16th paperclip, throw it back in the pile and mix everything up. And the idea was that the probability of you grabbing the, the, the bigger output of paperclips increased strategically and mathematically increased because, you know, now you had a 20 to one chance of grabbing you know, 20 paper clips and one singular. Right. So the likelihood of you grabbing two singles uh, exponentially decreases as that those other chains get longer and bigger. Correct. Right. And so <clears throat> I've not heard that example, but that's a great example of it. And, and that's why that's that's why I wanted to bring the table and work through this with you organically, because um, for me, that is uh, and it was a, it, again, you know, there's there's some variables in there. There's some human error. You know, is that person really grabbing at random? So on and so forth. You know, those types of things. But the for me, that was the practical application and strategic representation of a a rolling stone. You know, gathers moss. Right. So it goes down the hill, and it you know packs up and gets bigger and bigger, like a snowball. Yeah. Right. Um, or is it a rolling stone gathers no moss? What is that phrase? A rolling stone gathers no moss. Ah, that's not applicable. <laughs> the snowball, where the snowball rolls down. Keeps hill, growing. And it keeps growing and getting bigger. Right? So, you know, so for me, the paperclip idea was arguably we have to start rolling the snowball, right? Um, but once the snowball rolls, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, it's easier for it to get bigger, the output, you know. And and so for me, I was like, man, that's just a demonstration of that snowball theory. Correct. Right. And so, um, again, you know, come back to the 80-20, that the whole paperclip thing, I thought it was interesting. Um, so for folks listening in who may not be familiar, um, that was a, a good representation for me. Again, pretty simple concept at its core, but you can actually unpack a lot of stuff about it. So, and the way that I find that you can actually utilize this in business specifically is you got to first identify what is your 20% that makes you the most productive? Mm -hmm. What are those items? Now, if that 20% is, uh, you know, maybe it's writing quotes for customers, maybe it's calling customers, maybe it's uh, investing in your people and doing training, whatever that may be, you dedicate a very specific time to that. And you make it so that you can't be interrupted during that time. Sure. And then the other 80% of your daily task, you can allow for those interruptions. You can allow for, you know, the inter the phone calls, the employees just coming over bugging you for stupid things, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Sure. But the 20% that's your most productive time needs to be focused time. Sure. I think that's that's really the, the kicker. Um, it is about time management, right? And so when it comes to... You know, and, and again, uh, it can be a cross applicable, whether it's business or personal and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, 
this is uh, simply less is more, right? So people, you know, who are listening and understanding, this is the idea of, of less is more. Not that, um, you know, for, uh, you know, for 10 hour workday, you're just trying to kill yourself for 10 hours. Right. Um, a, it's not sustainable. Uh, and B, the argument is that your level of efficiency will decrease to the point where, you know, realistically, you only have, you know, a fifth of that 10 hour workday yep. is actually peak efficiency, peak focused, intentional profitability, if you will, as a business. And I think that it's interesting for me and kind of building off of what you just said, um, people who are unfamiliar the specific nature of our company is an automotive business. And when I started, even when it was, you know, just me or just me and a couple uh, part-time, you know, employees, um, I took some criticism, to use the word criticism, or at least questioning, right? People looking in, not really understanding what's going on, about why I was not trying to just lay under a Jeep for eight, 10 hours a day. Right. Right. Um, our, 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 you know, people listening in, our, our business is specifically Jeep branded off-road vehicles related. And so, um, you know, so that was the question of folks saying, you know, why don't you have this tool? Why aren't you under this Jeep doing this for, you know, eight, 10 hours was that we would be, we're going to make our money by, uh, being on the computer, yeah. doing outreach, uh, educating our customer base, mm -hmm. and uh, doing you know pro project and product logistics. So the actual physical application of turning a bolt for eight hours is not going to make us money. Yes, a customer has you know paid for a select service to be done, and you can ultimately, you know, run a business. If you are just a, a local service garage or, you know, oil chain shop, you can run a business just on physical services rendered. But you will do ex exponential growth gains if you're increasing your marketability. You're yep. increasing your value. So the customer comes in and when they, you know, drive down the street and they can go to oil change company A or, you know, service company B, they're going to specifically choose service company B, even though they're going to pay a little more. It's a value add experience for them. Yep. A does oil changes sun up to sundown, but there will be a physical capacity that they can do no more oil changes within their infrastructure, within their business model. And they're just at that point in time tapped out. They're capped at what they can actually produce. Now, most businesses never actually truly cap out, but in, you know, in theory, they will or they can. And so I used to tell people, you know, I'm going to focus on the business model. I'm going to focus right. on the computer work. I'm going to make the money, you know, sitting at the desk um, and doing the estimates and doing the customer communication and creating the value added experience for that consumer to which then we'll turn the dollars when we do spin the wrench. Yep. Right. And so, you know, so, so we might end up taking a couple extra days on the service job. Um, but so long as we've, we've hit all these other outreach aspects, that's going to be okay. Um, and we're still going to make good money. Right. You know, we're not going to make as much money as that oil change, you know, immediately. That's just plugging them through. That's just plugging them through. But in the long haul, which was always my perspective, um, we're going to do less 
and return more. Correct. Right. So that is my my specific applicability where I really encountered this, both from a criticism level from people looking in going, well, you know, and it was from other business owners, largely, who were those guys who were just toiling away at their machine, pulling their levers, you know, injecting their molds, you know, wrenching on cars, oh, yeah. whatever it was. And I'm going, I'm looking at them going, ah, I mean, I see you, you know, and, and good for you. And yes, right now you're making more money than me. You know, you, you are, but you know, that's not, I'm not worried about this transient moment. I'm worried about what's going forward. So the next step of this would be looking at how it can benefit with your employees, developing your employees. And this is where I actually got introduced to the 80-20 rule. Okay. Um, I, had a sa- hear this. I had a sales staff beneath me. And of that sales staff, we were looking to promote people into management levels throughout the company. The, the way it was presented to me is I was spending too much time with the employees, not with the leaders. Hmm. And I, I said, what do you mean? And they said, basically, when you're looking at your staff, you need to identify who's your top 20% of staff. Mm -hmm. And that is who you're spending the bulk of your time with. You spend 80% of your time with that top 20%. Hmm. Because if you spend 80% of your time with the the bottom 20%, you're not actually going to exponentially grow your business. Hmm. You're not going to grow your company. Your employees aren't going to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. But if you spend that 80% of time developing the the top 20%, you're going to see exponential sales growth out of them. That's interesting. Um, and it does, <clears throat> it does make me, and again, I, I look forward because this is, this is a thing that I'm wrestling with concepts myself because in my own approach in business, I have oftentimes not looked at um, what is, what is specifically trending? What's the biggest hot, you know, what's the, the best producer right now? Yeah. But what is the vacuum created that I can come in and I can, um, you know, kind of take advantage? So who's the untapped employee and and whatnot? And so I understand these concepts are not all or nothing. Right. Right. There's no concrete rule on it. It's just totally the the theory of it. And and with what you're saying, I I agree that there is going to be untapped employees. And that's part of identifying who are that top 20 percent, because if you've got an untapped potential with an employee, they can become your top 20%. Yes. It's just developing them that way. Well, and I think, so, I mean, that is where we put this concept into application where we have to really unpack it and understand it to say it might not be that face value that easily measured who's my best salesman if I have a sales force. Oh, yeah. Um, Who's my my best uh, kicker if I'm managing a soccer team or something like that. Right. Um, And that obviously is going to come on you as the leader. Right. The person who's who's listening to this podcast, trying to identify these things and say, what are the tools I have in my toolbox to do this? Right. Because Um, just because for for the sales employee, just because they're writing more in sales than any other employee does not mean they're your top 20 percent performer. And I think that's I think that's that's the key. Right. Is to say these are not in absolutes. Um, And I think that arguably, I mean, this is a concept my wife and I. Um, really churn about a lot. And um, as large proponents of public education, it is a struggle for us because oftentimes our social approach through public education is to is to kind of uh, lift up the lowest performers. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, through that, 
and that's not to say that the the teachers, the the standard classroom teachers, um, are are not able, you know, necessarily to to address the the top performers, but the resources are more readily available for the students who have, you know, lower performance rates. Yep, aids, after school programming, um, you know, resource resource access, those types of things, and that um, your your top one or two. You know, students are going to find them way, their way into a gifted program. Uh, their own household, their family unit is going to better them and elevate them. But what about those the the kids who fall just below that that top one percent of yep. performers in the classroom? And that's where the the challenge is, is is being able to identify and then you know help them grow. Correct. Right. And so there's where uh, if we had a a kind of a critical approach with our current um, you know, trajectory on, on public education is we have a lot of resources readily available for underperforming youth um, and families, not exactly for that, that top 20%. Right. Right. That top two or five. Yeah, we got that covered as well, you know, ish. Um, but it's that that remaining portion there. Um, and so how much more successful would we be? And that's that's just a, that's nothing that the teachers don't want to do. It's a lack of resources. It's a it's a lack of, yep. um, you know, Right now, our push is is maybe in the wrong direction, right? And and and, I, and that could be applicable to you in your church or in your personal life, and go, okay, well, I'm investing a lot of energy over here in trying to salvage this relationship um, with my relatively toxic relative. Yep. And I'm, you know, kind of putting on hold what I could be doing for these these friends over here or this family member over here. And at what point do you realize that you are out of balance and you need to cut your time with that toxic relative yes. and focus on the rest of it. Yes. And that, that I think is, is ultimately where the pendulum swings and, 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 and it says, okay, I'm investing a ton of time in this person and things aren't changing, you know? Um, and again, we're not talking in absolutes. We're talking in, in generalizations, generalizations, bigger concepts. Now, um, it is interesting to note that this rule has been put, or this concept, this theory has been put uh, to the test at a at higher, you know, collegiate, um, you know, ec- economic levels. That uh, again, Price's Law has actually taken it, um, and he was a professor professor in the '60s who kind of took it and and proved it, you know, mathematically yeah. and through statistics, statistically. Statistically, statistically has proven it, um, and I thought that was kind of cool. And and what that was specifically in their situation was the top performing businesses um, economically, and it was talking about um, basically when they they achieved a a certain level of investment, they had a bunch of little micro. Uh, investments in time, energy, and resources, and those little micro investments became compounding. Yep. So they weren't invested in a, a singular I- investment or process, um, but they had a, a multitude of things that they were doing. And yeah, from the outside, it did not look like you know that they were particularly the best widget producer. Right. Um, but because they made a good widget 
and then they marketed into the right crowd and they had, you know, this contract over here with this retailer. Right. And they had this, you know, stock option with their employees and they had all these little, these, you know, little micro expressions of success that that actually um, was that 20% and it returned so much more than the company who was the best widget producer. Absolutely. I thought that was really fascinating. And that for me was the kind of the, the generalization of, of prices law, which again, to me was a way for them to prove yeah. um, the Pareto principle. Well, and, and just to continue through kind of quickly on the, on these other points, um, it kind of like the employees, 80% of your time should be spent with your top 20% of your customers. I'm not talking about the top 20% of needy customers. I'm talking about the top 20% of revenue stream customers, customers that are coming in spending money. Those are the ones you should be spending more time with versus you get customers that are calling in with little picky questions and you get stuck on the phone for hours with them. See, I think this is interesting. This is that converse when I started the, when we started talking to the podcast, I was struggling to see the converse. Um, but this is, this is that converse rule saying now, now you spend that bulk of that time with your best performers. Yep. Right. And when it comes specifically to business, this is the piece that I always said, this is one of my little secret, secret sauce recipes, right? I am not here for one and done customers. I am here for, you know, lifetime customers. Yep. A lifetime customer will return greater results exponentially than a one and done fast cash, big, you know, big, big Friday purchase. And every single time. Every single time. And that first that first time that customer's in, they might only spend $100 with you. Yep. And then the next time they come in, they might spend $1,000 with you. And then they'll tell their best friend, and their best friend's going to come in, and, they, and they've got $3,000 to spend with you. Yep. And then that original you know, customer's going to come back, and they're going to be like, hey, you know what? I'm really ready to, to buy this piece of furniture, to invest in your life coaching you know, program, whatever it might be. I'm ready to put down the three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000, right? And so whatever ticket it is, um, those are the people that we're going to continue to invest in. And we don't have the biggest market reach by actual paying customers. Um, for us, my, um, you know, my perspective was to create a, a education or infotainment reach yep. for our, you know, broader market, but then to focus our energy specifically on that 20% of customers. So it's really fascinating to see this. Um, we're not out there trying to gobble up all the little nickels and dimes. Um, we're going after the the bigger players. Yes. With with our process geographically where we're at, um, like actually physically our company and you know that kind of stuff. Um, and and you said it best. That's you said it best with the you know the customer might only spend a hundred bucks this time, and that's part of the leadership aspect where you have to identify. Hey, they're only spending a hundred bucks this time, but they're worth investing in. And it goes back to you know your concept of identifying the, that sales force under you. Going, hey, this might not be my my lead sales performer. Right. They might be two or three down, but they're so consistent across the board. Yep. You go, hey, you know what? If I tweak a couple things and I change that person instead of working Friday, now I have them working Saturday. Boom, they blow yep. up. Yep. You know what I mean? Because now they have access to a different type of clientele. Yep. And that is. Um, now they might just with a few little tweaks because they're such a lead or a consistent person, they might actually become your lead sales agent. It goes back almost to Moneyball, the Moneyball <laughs> principle. Okay. Uh, where with baseball uh, is where that started. Yep. That you take 
not the best players from every team, but you take the most consistent players from yes. every team, and you can build a better team yes. than every other team. Again, if you're investing 80% of your time in those 20% of consistent Correct. people. Interesting. Um, so, and again, also light bulb applies. went off for me, so I'm excited. <laughs> I now understand the converse of what that, you know, that, that the way that was phrased was fun and elegant, but it didn't, it didn't didn't gravitate to me. You right. know what I mean? And now I'm really understanding what they meant by the converse. And, and, you know, as we go through this, just again, quickly, it also applies to your revenue. 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your products or services. Mm-hmm. So identifying what are your top selling items uh, or what are consistently selling and how you can market those consistent items better to, to maximize your revenue off mm-hmm. those. Um, and as we talk more about it, this actually could skew your mindset negative if you're not careful. So knowing the 80-20 rule and how it can actually skew you in a negative manner is, is important as well. Okay. Because it's not mathematically set in stone. You said this several right. times. And right. what happens this is not is, an absolute, right? What, what happens is because it's more of a general parameter, if you're so focused on, well, it's got to be 80-20 every time and this, this, and that, you're going to start pushing away some of your employees that are good employees that may not be the top 20. Mm-mm. But you're going to push them away because you're just you're so focused on the other things. Right. Or you may focus so much of your extra time on that top 20% of productivity that you end up spending 80% of your time on there and you lose right. your other product. Right. It might not actually be what you should be focused on. And I think this is what's, what's valuable in this conversation is where we have to be very self-aware yes. as individuals putting this principle into practice, right? We have to identify our bias yep. and our perspective, right? So there's oftentimes things where um, me personally – um, and I will use this example. I personally love old vintage automobile parts. And, um, you know, people who are, are uh, you know, familiar with me enough will know that that was where, uh, where this company started for me. And I like that yeah. as a, you know, I like the history. I like talking to the people. I liked, uh, you know, I like the history of the, the original automotive produ- producers and saying, why why did you? Why did they do that? Why did they build that? And then seeing the progression uh, in technology in our vehicles, but it didn't make money for this business. That's not to say somebody else out there isn't doing it successfully or, or whatever. You know, it it was for me. I had to look at and say, "Hey, I am I'm holding on to certain things." So when we did our expansion and we actually um, carved out, you know. Uh, uh, a, a thousand square feet of usable service bays. And we added three, arguably three service bays um, for, you know, to our facility. We did that by eliminating an aspect that I actually personally really like. Right. And, but it was not making you any money, but it was not making this company any money. Right. Right. It wasn't our lead, our lead production. We actually, benefit more from having the space, from being able to bring more vehicles in, to giving more efficient workspaces to our employees, you know, more dedicated areas. Well, and it's important to note, this is not an exact science. It is going to change as your business grows. Right. So adapting that 20%, whatever it ends up being. So when you first started this business, having all that inventory was Was beneficial. It was was key. That was what you needed to do. And that was where I could enter the market, right? And so it's so valuable. People listening in, 
that was so valuable because that was where I could enter the market. I didn't have a bunch of money. Right. I had, you know, elbow grease and a couple old parts Jeeps. And I had the knowledge base to say, hey, I can take this part, you know, part A and put it on on Jeep B and and it'll work. Yeah. And customers gravitated to that. And that was that was great that I could create that transference of knowledge and then it equated to dollars. Right. Um, but as the business grew and the business model changed, ultimately, um, you know, so does our, our Pareto principle. Right. Right. We have to then reshift our focus. And so I, I believe an aspect of the business that was so principal to us starting, I, I could have held on to that. I could have held on to it. I could have forced it into existence, but it would not have been been successful for us. Right. Right. And so how often are we forcing things in our business, in our personal lives and our, our community organizations because of our bias, because of our perspective or because of our own special interest? You know, we have to quite, we have to be very self-aware in that process. And that's the negative aspects of it, I think. Absolutely. Um, Let's transition over to our quote of the week. We're going to break that down. That was a good conversation. Yeah. And this is my world now. So our quote of the week, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. That's Abraham Lincoln. Huh. And to me, that fits with the 80-20 rule. Yes. Because you're taking the time to do what's most important. Because if you take a dull axe and you go to chop down a tree, right, you may not get it done in six hours. Right. But if you spend the time prepping and sharpening the axe, getting the nice clean blade, the nice sharp edge. You can get through a tree really. I quick. love this. I love this, and it, and it goes back to that conversation about some of the the criticisms that I took, and I had to just kind of keep telling people, I'm going to make the money. Um, I'm gonna I'm going to fulfill the the task, right? Yeah. Um, of of what I've been hired to do, or what the business model was set out to do, um, but I'm going to sit here and I'm going to sharpen my axe. Yes. Right. And and so. Um, I could spend that, you could spend that six hours just beating away at the tree, you know, in a dull and exhausting fashion. And every time that somebody walked past you, you're going to look productive. Yeah. But you, at the end of that six hours, you've only cut down one tree and you're physically wore out and you're physically worn out. And I think to so many business owners out there, um, who, you know, who suffer from exhaustion, um, or burnout. Uh, I recently saw somebody online, you know, put out one of those kind of ambiguous questions like, oh, what's what's one of the the big things that we can help business owners with, you know, with burnout and exhaustion. And I thought, I don't know, be more efficient, you know, sharpen your axe. Yeah. Right. And and all too often. And there are menial tasks as a business owner. And that it, that can be very challenging. Right. Um uh, my sister's uh, therapist, you know, she's a therapist, she's a licensed uh, clinician, and she has to deal with insurance and billing. Uh, some of that insurance and billing is exhausting and menial. And at the end of that six hours of filling out all the paperwork, uh, you don't feel fulfilled. Right. But once that paperwork is filled out, you're going to get paid for the next year, two years, three years, five years. Yep. So you put in that eight hours and it's menial, but then you have years of return on it. Yep. Um, and that's hard in that moment to assure that person like, Hey, this is a passing moment. This too shall pass. We got to do this. We got to sharpen the ax for four hours. Cause once you sharpen that ax for four hours, it's going to take you two hours to cut down that tree. Now the next six hours you got to cut down trees, 
you're going to cut down three more. Yeah. Right? So Absolutely. now you've cut down four trees in six hours or in 12 hours. You're more productive. Whereas, whereas the next guy has only cut down two trees in yep. 12 hours. Yep. Because he just sits there and swings and swings and swings with a dull axe. Yep. And so I love that. That was a uh, it's a great quote. Um, well, and I hope my hope is that all of our listeners are using this to help sharpen their axe. Yes. This is a tool. Uh, learn some principles from us. Learn from our mistakes and that type of thing, because if you can sharpen your axe mm-hmm. and be more efficient, it's going to benefit your company, yourself, your personal life, your family, all of that. Absolutely. This was a, a great conversation. Folks, we were talking about the Pareto principle um, or the 80-20-20-80 rule. Um, you know, the, the idea that uh, our focused, uh, you know, investments will ha- yield large results, right? Um, or if we know that we have some, uh, you know, high performance uh, situations, then invest your time, you know, the bulk of your time in those things. And this can be applicable uh, financially, socially, socially, emotionally with family, friends, uh, in your church, on your, your local sports team. Uh, this is a principle that is not absolute, but has some fluidity to it and is a great, another great tool in our toolbox of becoming a better leader, uh, a better community uh, activist, and, and obviously a better entrepreneur. Good conversation, Jeffrey. Absolutely. Uh, and coming up, you know, we're going to be talking about takes one to know one and respecting boundaries. Those are some upcoming topics to look forward to. Awesome. Make sure, folks, that you, uh, you know, leave us a review. Uh, jump on the, the, the podcast train. Uh, if, you, if you like automotive entertainment, uh, head on over, find I Speak Jeep. Uh, we're all over the place. That's our, our flagship podcast. Um, but we hope that this one will continue to grow. Tell your friends about it. And um, you're welcome to, to give us some suggestions of things that you want to talk about. If you have questions for us, again, we have a wealth of experience, um, both in success and obviously failure. And that's really, really valuable to yes. say, uh, you know, failing forward is the only way that that we succeed, um, you know, as individuals and, and as businesses in all, all aspects. So. If you're not um, failing, you're not trying hard enough. Oh, absolutely. So you can uh, you can reach us. Uh, you can reach Jeff at J E F F C at S F J four X four dot com. That's Jeff C at S F J four by four dot com. Or we do have a text only number, and it's eight five five twenty one hundred. So four four zero eight five five twenty one hundred. You can reach us. Ask us some questions. Get involved in this conversation. Suggest some topics topics in the future, and um, you know who knows? Maybe we'll be talking about something that's really important to you in the near near future with you. And this is my world. The American dream is not dead. We want to help you along the way. With over forty years of combined leadership experience, we want to help you succeed. Share your stories, ask us questions, and believe in the American dream. Through heart and hustle, we will show you the path of success and hopefully have a little fun along the way. You can email us at jeffc at sfj4x4.com or text us at 440-855-2100. Until next time, lead with your heart and keep hustling.